Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here we go. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Another translation says, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable worship. The least you can do is present yourself, which is your reasonable service. It says, I beseech you. That's an that's a, a intense way to say, I really want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Really, this concept is regarding spiritual worship, that we learn how to worship God in spirit and in truth. Because spirit and truth worship is the only kind that pleases the Lord. The Old Testament, they could not worship in spirit and truth. They had to go to the proper location and do the proper outward things. Uh, But now, worship is mostly invisible to the human eye. And so, uh, the only way to truly begin your worship to God is dead. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You must go to the cross and allow yourself to die with Christ in order to begin your true worship. You cannot truly worship God if you have not consecrated your life and allowed your self-life to decrease. When you go to the cross, it radically wounds your self-life. Now we can talk about worship. Remember, God looks upon the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, so God looks upon the heart. So that helps you realize that uh, it's not about what we see you doing in a worship state. It's about your heart. And that's a heart that uh, is a lifestyle of commitment and honor toward God. So, you know, some people say, well, you know, watch me worship. You're not really getting into it. Y'all need to worship better and harder and watch me do it. No, no. No, you won't see that. The only way to to see if I'm worshiping God is to follow me around all week and then open up my heart and see into the spirit and see how how much honor I have toward the Lord in my daily life. It's the only way to see if you're really worshiping God. So your outward activity in a meeting doesn't tell the story. Philippians 3 said that, you know, Paul was talking about, he said, we have uh, no confidence in the flesh. We worship God in the spirit. And we have no confidence in the flesh. I don't care how pretty you look or wonderful you look during music time. Praise the Lord. I see it's going over really exciting tonight. You cannot worship the Lord with the same old mind that you had before you got saved. So don't think that it's a fervor. Don't think that you got to work something up in mental or bodily fervor, I'm trying to worship God. No, no, you're, you're missing it. You're missing it. You don't have to sweat to worship God. New Testament worship is when we honor God in every aspect of our lives. Real worship is a daily lifestyle of obedience. It's a, it's a constant honor of God's word, of God's ways. You must adore him, and you must adore his word, and that means you must adore his ways. So, you know, you say about a, a spouse or something, well, he, he worships the ground she walks on. Well, what's that mean? That, that means that he wants to be with her more than anything else. True worship is when you really want to be with God more than anyone else. Now you're getting close. Now you're getting close to be with and talk to God more than anything else. Uh, Watchman Nee said this about worship. He said, at the fall, man could no longer worship God. He could think and feel about God, but he could not worship. Why? Because he died. Only alive people can worship God. All the other dead religions are trying, but they can't. After the fall, man trusted in reasonings, feelings, thoughts, and decisions And this is where a grave mistake is made, that the more soulish and bodily fervor I put out, the more I'm worshiping, but it's not so in the New Testament. To worship, we must go to the cross. Not only do I die with Christ, but the death of the Lord radically wounds my self-life. Crucified is the only way to approach God. So you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God.
You've got to lay down self if you're going to worship God. Give up self-will if you're going to worship God. And that means to receive all the instruction in the New Testament. Unless we take the humble position of man before God, man underneath God, we cannot worship. Praise the Lord. If you recall, uh, God never told Adam to worship. He created man. He did not say, worship me. We were not created primarily for worship. We really were, were created partly for fellowship, but even more than fellowship, we were created for rulership. The only thing God told Adam and Eve to do is rule the world, replenish the earth, subdue the earth, rule everything in the earth. You have dominion over this whole thing. It was a partnership of a creation that God wanted us to, to rule. What worship does is it keeps our rulership in submission to God. If you cannot worship, you cannot rule. If you cannot worship, you cannot have dominion. If you cannot stay under God, you cannot dominate the devil. Worship puts you in your right position, which is God's there and I'm here. I submit to him in all things and enjoy it because I'm worshiping not only a concept of God or not, not only a person, I'm actually worshiping his ways, who he is, his nature, his word, etc. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. All right, let's move to verse 2. Do not be conformed, and do not be conformed to this world. Actually, let me read, let me read a, a translation, another translation of Romans 1. Let me read you this. Romans 12, 1. It says this in another translation. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and rock, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that you fit into it without ever thinking. Which leads us to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now let's talk about this idea of leaving the world and being conformed to Christ. Being translated out of the world and put into Christ or into the kingdom. We talked quite extensively on this, but to, to not be conformed to the world means you have to allow your whole life to change because your life concept was formed really by the time you were 12 years old. Your whole life concept was formed by the time you were 12 years old. And so most people did not grow up understanding the kingdom of God. Even if many of you grew up in church, you still did not really understand the kingdom of God because it takes a real step of faith to get in the kingdom. Hopefully your parents modeled it pretty well for you, but most didn't have that. So all of a sudden we're X number of years old and we get saved or come into a, you know, a real uh, enlightenment to the kingdom of God. Now you've got to relearn everything. Now you got to see the difference. And so now you got to leave something that's old and come into something's new. And so don't be conformed to the world anymore, but be transformed by what? By, renew, by renewing your mind, by the word of God, by what you learn. Be transformed by what you learn. And that, re that requires your attitude and reactions to everything in life to change. Requires your lifestyle to change. Requires your pursuits and dreams to change. Requires... Uh, that, that you recognize that world causes are not church causes. We take on the cause of Christ. We take on everything important to God. Uh, that changes us. That, that gives us new priorities. It gives us new daily schedule, weekly schedule. We still got to go to work. We still got to earn some income. Uh, we still have, a, God has a plan for us, maybe in the world business system, but at the same time, our world, our, our heart pursuits are church pursuits, are kingdom pursuits, are God's pursuits. 
So you have to be very careful not to uh, just stay stuck in the world and have Christ. Your speech has to change. Your source for life changes. Instead of your career giving you the money, it's God. you got to change that feeling. Uh, instead of the world giving you love, you got to get that from God alone. can't look for a spouse to get love. you got to get it from God. Your goal for a spouse would be to give love, not get love. You got to go through that whole, before you get married, you, you better be thinking to yourself, you know what? I got lots of love to give. I, I want to bless somebody's life. Because once you get married, you'll be thinking, not sure that they felt the same way. Well, you didn't get married for that. You didn't get married for what you could get. You got married for what you could give. And until you get that straight, you're going to be miserable. And then you just got to be good and, and, and give that love for another 50, 60 years. That's all. You'll be successful. You got to come out of the world's thinking concerning mental health, the medical system. Where's, what, who is my source? Where does my source come from? Where's my solutions come from? You got to be, you got to be real careful how you venture into the world or stay in the world for all of life's solutions. Not against a lot of things the world can give you. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they found out that the willow tree makes aspirin. But you got to have some limits and you got to have, your first thought should always be God. Your first thought should always be, I got to go to God and get well. I got to go to Jesus, the healer, and get well. And that includes your mental health as well. So don't, don't be medicating yourself and depressing your state of alertness or heightening your state of alertness. Be very careful of those things. They'll mess your brain up. If we, you know, one of the problems with mental health that's gone, you know, kind of rampant in these days is, is because of life patterns. It's not just an accident. It's not genetic. Most of it's not, not anything like that. It's simply because people grew up and live in a life where they have an ungoverned brain, ungoverned thought life, where everything is so chaotic in here all the time. They have no peace. They have no stability. They have no word of God. They have no direction in life. And so they're, they're pulled in every direction by the devil and the world and people and anxiety has taken them over. Well, the Bible gives us a solution for anxiety, but look, if you don't know what that is, and if you're already 40, 50, 60 years old, <laughs> and now you're learning it, that's what, that's what he says. Don't be conformed to the world anymore. Be transformed. Realize that all you got to do is take a, take a seat, chill out, get the, word, get the word in you, and receive the power of God for your mental health. You cannot allow yourself to be all strung out anymore. You cannot be anxious for anything. We have command, do not be anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. We got commands. We've got some strict, we have strict rules on what to think about. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 tells us exactly what you're allowed to think about as you sit there at your home. You can only think of things that are lovely and pure and of good report. Trustworthy, faithful. All, you can only think of good things. You can only think of the good stuff. And if you would do that, you would take some authority back in your thought life. But the world's way is to consider and rehearse all of their difficulties, the sadness, the discouragements, the failures, the what didn't happens, the what's wrong with everybody, what's wrong with the world. That's what the world thinks on. You cannot. What if we had an x-ray machine that could see what's going on in your brain? And part of church service was we pulled that out and did an MRI on what you're thinking on. And, and you just pass by and get your report. And the, 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 re, the report would be, uh-huh, and that's why you're in that condition. And that's why you're in that condition. And that's why you're in that condition. There's your problem right there. There's your problem right there. There's your problem right there. Most of your problems are right above your neck. They're right up into your brain. That's your problem. That's why, you know, some, some don't like when I say this, but Norval Hayes would make a joke. He'd say, you know, Christians would be better off if you just chop their heads off. 
because most of your problems are right up here. The doctors tell us that 90-something percent, I think it's 97% of all diseases are psychosomatic. That means they result, it's 90-something percent. They come from your thought life. They come from you not guarding the anxiety and the chaos and the fretting and the disappointment and the unforgiveness. They come from an emotional state rather than just a physical one. So I think there's advantage if you'll come out from thinking like the world. Quit thinking like your parents and your grandparents and your friends and everybody you know on social media. Quit acting like all that. Please don't act like the news media. Please don't let that be your life. Please don't. Please come out. Don't be conformed to the world. Come on. The problems of the world, we could solve them just like this because we have the wisdom of God. But if you're going to go at it like that, you'll never solve anything. You've got to get everybody over in the kingdom. The only way to fix the world is get everybody in the kingdom. And we know that ain't going to happen. So therefore, let's use our deductive reasoning. That means you cannot fix the world. You can try. You can vote. You can submit your petition at work. But you cannot control the world. You cannot fix the world. Jesus will fix it when he comes. Right now, we're trying to save individuals out of the world. But to do that, you've got to be in the kingdom. You can't save people if you're, out, if you're all worldly. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right. We've got scripture in 1 John 2. Uh, just don't turn there. Love not the world, neither the, the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Second Peter, uh, turn, turn here to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1. I'll quote you another one from Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. says that you be blameless. We're commanded to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You think your country's so bad? They had the same problem back then. Crooked and perverse is the way of every nation in every generation for all of humanity. Crooked and perverse is the condition of every nation always. You're supposed to shine in it. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, as his divine power has given, unto us all, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So here's where you see that you've got you to learn. If you're going to change anything about yourself, you've got to learn. Through the knowledge of him who called us to, by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. Okay, so you got the promises of God, right? You understand there's some promises in here. Look at one of the results of these promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. If you can learn some promises and receive some promises, it will form Christ within you, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. If you're going to be transformed, you're going to have to get some promises in you. You're going to have to start living by the promises of God. You're going to have to start reading a scripture and believing it and taking it and receiving it until it comes to pass for you. And in doing so, you will begin to have this connection to God and this trust toward God that will change your life. So if you don't have the promises and don't make proper requests and don't live your life according to these precious promises, you will stay worldly. These, th th these precious promises are the substitute for your worldliness. You can run off from right here and go do all sorts of crazy worldly things right now. Well, not right now. The ushers have locked the doors. No, no. If you're watching via live stream, we don't lock the doors. We just threaten it a lot. You can just run off. But the substitute is that you get some promises so that you can sit there delighted in God. Think of all the people that have skipped all spiritual seeking, all attempts at any kind of 
a holy lifestyle or pursuit of God. They've skipped it all because the world is so enticing. Well, don't let it be you. You be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. All right. Let me quote you this from, go back to Romans. Uh, you know that Jesus said that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We say that a lot, but let me just quote the scripture to you, John 17. Jesus was praying to the Father, and he said, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil. So you can be out there and be kept from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. As you have sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. So this is the, the juxtaposition. This is the, uh, you got the darkness and the light. You got the world and you got the kingdom of God. And so we're living in this world, but we're not of this world. So we can't act like it, talk like it, think like it. And so we're supposed to give no appearance of evil. We're not supposed to conform to them. So you don't have to act like them, talk like them, think like them, even if they're not going to like you for it. They'll make fun of you here and there. Somebody should have already snickered at you by now. <laughs> Hasn't your family snickered at you? They should have. If they haven't snickered at you, you're doing something wrong. If they haven't snickered at you, laughed at you, made fun of you, uh, condemned you, you know, twisted up everything you've said, if they haven't done that, then you're not doing it right. You think you're doing it wrong because they can't get it. No, you're doing it right. Verse three, let's move on. Verse, oh, no, no, I want to see this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you don't be transformed, if you don't come out of the world's way, you will never do the will of God. You'll never fulfill God's will for your life. The only way to prove the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God for your life is to not be worldly, to think totally different. The world spins this way. You have to spin the opposite direction. The natural tendencies of the world can't be yours. And if you, you know, a lot of us figured this out. And so the way that we respond to Everything that happens out there is just so different, just so different. You think we're supposed to go, ah, and we don't. We just go, ah. <laughs> Verse three, for, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So there, you got to stop being so prideful. you got to think of yourself less. Can you do it? Has everybody done that in your life? Is everybody in here humble? That's a trick question. Is everybody, raise your hand if you're humble. That'll get you. You start, you start wearing your humble badge. I am humble. I will be the judge of that, not you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Every man, seems, every man thinks he's right. Every man's right in his own eyes. Proverbs says every man's right in his own eyes. So everybody thinks that they're doing pretty good. We're not, we're not telling you to be falsely humble. Uh, but at the same time, hey, humility is very important. You can't think of yourself too highly, no matter how great you are, wonderful you are, how many good things you did uh, or didn't. So you know that. And then it says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Each one has faith. Each of us have faith. Did you know that? He's given each of us a measure of faith. Now, we like to say that that's saving faith. Everybody has enough faith to get saved. If you're saved, you certainly have enough faith to have gotten saved. You got saved. So he's given to every one of us a measure of faith. So everybody has a deposit of faith, the ability to believe God in them. Every one of us. 
So you don't need to think, i got great faith and you don't have any faith. I'm, no, everybody's got faith. They can all develop their faith. You'll see that some people are stronger in faith at different times of their life for different things in life. So let's not can it all as one thing and, and start judging and comparing self, okay? Uh, bottom line is everybody's got faith. Everybody's got a certain amount of faith, and it's up to you to develop your faith. It's up to you to grow in faith. It's up to you to increase your faith by getting knowledge, by learning, by practicing. To have strong faith, you got to learn, believe, and you got to practice. You got to start small and you got to grow it. But everybody's got faith. That's not talking about, that's not talking about, uh, this helps us recognize that God's given all of us faith. So you can't look at anybody and say, well, God's given you great faith. Wow, I don't have that. I don't have that. No, that's a cop out. You could have faith too. When a preacher or a teacher, or even a Christian, tells a story or a testimony or something they believed God for, somehow God answered their prayer, uh, you should not be thinking, wow, it's just because y'all are, you're special, man. You must, you just, to, for you to hear the voice of God and all that, oh my gosh, I just can never do that. I just I don't know. I don't know why. No, no, you should be thinking, wow, I could do it too. When I started hearing stories of people having a miracle, my thought was, well, let's get some of that. I'm just, you know, simple enough to believe that God will do it for all of us. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. I want you to see that term, according to the grace that's given to us. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but I want you to recognize that there is a certain grace that God has given to each of us. It's your duty to find that grace, to know what that grace is, to develop that grace, to live in that grace, to use that grace, to offer that grace, that favor, that gift, that ability. You have to know you. And you have to be faithful to God. And it may be something that's somehow natural to you, and it might not be. It might be something that's not natural to you. You have to detect the grace of God for you. Like no one starts off with the grace to be a physics, I mean a, physi- uh, a physics professor, <laughs> a, an aerospace. Nobody starts off with the grace to be an aerospace engineer, right? There's a progression here. They got to do good in elementary school and then middle school and then high school and college. They, to, to get where you need to be, you got to develop. You got to start with what you've got and you got to exercise it. But it's up to you to f- figure it out. What can you do? Start it. What, what might God be wanting you to do? Start it. He might give you a supernatural ability you didn't even know you have. Like, let's say somebody. Uh, you know, is 15 years old and never looked at a math book. Never looked at a math book till they were 15 for whatever reason. Then they get a math book and man, I, they understand the numbers. They can add and subtract and multiply and divide and do all sorts of sine, co- cosine and tangents. And they had a grace for it. They didn't even know it. You may have a grace for something, natural life, business life, um, some skill, some hobby, something and then spiritual stuff as well that you didn't even know you have. So you got to give yourself over to it and let the Holy Spirit show you the grace. And then you operate in the grace. And then you stick with your grace. He's given us gifts according to the grace that's given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, I'll just read the passage. Ministry. Let us use it in our ministering, or he who teaches in teaching, or he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Stop there. So here's some categories. We we call them life graces. Uh, And let me just give you a brief description of these, because not all of these are, none of these are the exact same as a uh, gift of prophecy, or a manifestation of the Spirit. So what you find is that God gives the life graces, uh, Jesus administrates, and the Holy Spirit gives manifestation. So I, won't get, I don't want to get too deep in all that, but let me just read this to you. 
Some are given to prophecy and that they speak with forthrightness, insight, and the ability to influence. We're not talking about you predicting the future. When you see the word prophecy, it doesn't always mean predict the future. Most of the time, it does not mean predict the future. Prophesy does not mean predict the future. Prophesy basically is to speak unto men with edif- for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And then this is a little broader sense of speaking with forthrightness. <clears throat> Some are given to ministry in that they render loving service to the needs of others. We have a bunch of people here at church that we know for sure you have this special grace of ministry. We're not talking about pulpit ministry or microphone ministry, but you minister to the needs of other people. And you do it so quickly. You jump in it. You don't care the circumstance. You're just so readily available and good at it. You have a special grace for that. Recognize God has planted you and placed you so that you could use that grace. Then we have teaches. He who teaches in teaching. This would, this would probably not uh, necessarily mean you stand in the office of a teacher. Because there's five primary preacher-teacher roles, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. This is not referring to that office necessarily, okay? And that's why we have lots of teachers in church who don't necessarily stand in the office of a teacher. But you may teach. Every one of you. Or I'd say most of you can teach one person. Like if you're a parent, you should teach your children something. All of us can teach spiritual things to one person, so do that. Now, some have a a little bit uh, more uh, full grace to teach a small group, but that that group has a limit to it. You could do a five-person group. You might could do a 10-person group, but when it gets to about 25, oh, my gosh. Or maybe it's when you get to 100, oh, my God, I don't know if I could talk in front of 100 people. Uh, So... Everybody has a different grace according to the gift of God and the plan of God. You just need to live up to yours. You need to live up to yours. You, you've heard, uh, well, I won't go there. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I had to take my glasses off to read, so. I'm the opposite. Like I said, you're supposed to be opposite of the world. <laughs> I read just fine, no problem. He who, he who exhorts in exhortation. If you're an exhorter, uh, do it. Do it well. An exhorter would be someone who makes an urgent appeal. Someone who uh, kind of captivates and edifies a group uh, with an urgent appeal. Another, another way to say it would be to comfort and encourage or edify people with a... Uh, kind of a presentation speech, just a, a short, not a teach, not a preach, but just an encouragement. And we have people do that here in church with a microphone, just to exhort just a moment, not a long teaching, preaching, but an exhortation. Some are prone to giving with a spirit of generosity and liberality that's a little bit more than normal. Like everyone should be generous. Everybody should be liberal givers here. That's instruction from the Bible. You should all be able to give, and you better start giving freely and cheerfully to people. Giving to poor, giving to the church, giving to God, giving, just be a distributor. But then there's some people that just, man, you're never going to outgive them. And I'm not talking about amounts. I'm not talking about amounts, because some people think, well, if I had a lot, I would give a lot. I'm not talking about amounts at all. I'm talking about your willingness and your uh, uh, faithfulness to just, you're doing what? Here you go. Uh, they're doing, well, here you go. Uh, the church need. here you go. I'm bringing it to God, man. I can't wait to make some money so I can give to God. Have you ever thought that? Okay, maybe you're tapping into some of that. I can't wait to earn some money so I give to God. And you do it. I'm not talking about you winning the lottery. Well, well, I, I can't wait to win the lottery and then I will give to God. No, I'm talking about your weekly paycheck. Some are prone to lead, to stand in front. Most people aren't. There's been a, a trend in the church for a long time that this, everybody needs to go through leader training because everybody's a leader. I don't like that. I don't think it's scriptural. I don't think it's 
panned out, and they've actually been pulling back in the past 10 years from this everybody's a leader. Uh, I know everybody can lead a person and a family and a child and all that, but not everybody's a leader amongst their peers. So let's not put pressure on people to be that. Just be the grace that you've got. You'll know if you're able to lead, you'll feel it. You won't be intimidated. You'll be inspired. You'll live a life accordingly. And others would already really be following you. If you're a real leader, others will already be following. You don't have to like try to lead. I think I want to lead. Well, the qualifier is, is anybody following you yet? (laughs) But he who does lead, let him lead with diligence. So if you are called to lead, if you do have a grace to lead, you better do it well. You better do it right. And that's kind of like what Paul said. He said, you should not want to be a teacher. He said, let not many of you be teachers, for you shall receive the greater judgment. Uh, you, You shouldn't have a bunch of people wanting to be leaders. Uh, You shouldn't want to be seen. You shouldn't want to have to take the the forefront unless you have the grace to do it. We've seen so many people, I mean, really just so many people who were just craving to be in front and to be a leader, and they don't have the grace for it. And and they're almost so obsessed that they can't see past their nose. We've always tried to teach the spouses, look, don't, Don't champion your spouse in something that they don't have grace for. You want to. You want to champion people because you love people. But don't, don't do it falsely. Don't be a flatterer. Flattery is, a, is an, we're instructed against flattery. Don't flatter people, even if you know them closely. And say how wonderful it was when it was kind of flat. Because then they, they, they live for years and stuff trying to be something they're not. So we have instruction. Be very careful with this. Get close to the Holy Spirit. Be faithful and enjoy what you've got. Well, I've always wanted to sing. Well, let's hear it. Let's see. Let's get over this. If you can't sing, I'll tell you. We, we have auditions, man. Just don't, be, don't get your feelings hurt. Well, I've always wanted to sing. We all did. Get over yourself. This is not American Idol, where you get all these, all these family members like, oh yes, you should hear my, my son, my daughter, you should hear this, you should hear this, so wonderful. That is like one of the meanest things you can do. Put them on national television and let them fall flat because you couldn't tell them the truth. So in, in the church, let's, let's be cool about it. Look, don't, don't get your feelings hurt. Don't get your feelings hurt. You, you do a little thing and it ain't great. Let us, let somebody tell you the truth about it. Matter of fact, you just tell yourself the truth. (laughs) Tell yourself the truth. You think you got something? Well, prove it out first. You know, this is just wise life. I I learned this from Brother Hagin. He he said the Lord had told him that uh, a certain gift had fallen on him, the teaching gift. He said, but I didn't tell a soul. He said, I wanted to prove it out first because he felt the anointing to teach come on him. He knew exactly what it was, but he didn't tell us all, didn't even tell his wife. And he began to practice in this little, this little prayer group that he had, began to practice teaching to see if what he thought he had was effective. And as it turned out, one of the most phenomenal teachers of the 20th century. Don't make me finish the story. <laughs> no, occasionally I need a little help. I'm so excited about things. I'm, I'm just living enough like thinking that's so wonderful. <clears throat> and then here's a good one here. Uh, so gives and leads and then who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We should all be merciful. You got it? We should all be merciful. Some people just seem to have the ability to overlook all of your stupidity. They're just so merciful. It just make your head spin. It's like, Man, nothing ever gets to you, does it? You just have mercy on everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Mercy on. So be cheerful about giving mercy. Of course, all of you are supposed to give mercy. I would say that you should all uh, try to, 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 to go one step further in some of these so that you can please the Lord. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. That means you're supposed to hate evil and love the good. It's one of the signs of the fear of the Lord is that you hate evil and you love good. 
And that's one of the ways you tap into the power of God is you got to hate the evil and love the good. Uh, hate iniquity and love righteousness. That's why God was, that's why God anointed Jesus according to Hebrews 1, 9. Of course, he was the son of God and he had this whole plan for him, but the, the quality or the character quality that Jesus had qualified him to get the power. And the quality expressed was that he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. So learn how to hate the evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Well, those are easy. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in, pr in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless, bless and do not curse. Just a whole list of the love walk right here. Okay, so these are, you know, if you, if you think, you know, what should I do, Lord? Well, do this. What should I be doing, Lord? Well, do these things. Be kindly affectionate to one another. You know, we make you in church take two minutes and greet each other. It's not just so we have a transition because a lot of churches and a lot of people say you shouldn't do that. You should come right out of the music into the message. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, I'll, I'll, I'll pick back up where we left off, but I want to make the people love one another. I want a time at church where you're kind of forced to be kindly affectionate to one another. Because I know how most people do it. They just run in and run out, run in and run out. And it's like, whoa, boy, I didn't say So it's like part of church, it's, it's not a performance. This is not just a show that, that we're trying to do the thing for. Uh, this is maybe the highlight, but church is a lot of things that go on. So you need to be part of the coming early and the, and the part of leaving late. I said, you need to become part of the coming early to church and leaving late. But for those that are trying to skirt it, I'll make you do two minutes. <laughs> Kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. I know I already read this, but these are good. Fervent in spirit. Uh, one translation says, and you know, that's why we say, would y'all come fiery? Are y'all fired up for God? Are y'all serving God? You got the flames going? Fervent in spirit, excited about the Lord. You don't need the music to start to get you excited. You should be excited in the car. One translation says, have your spirits aglow. Weymouth's translation, have your spirits aglow. Moffat's translation says, maintain the glow. <clears throat> Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. That's why we have lots of shouting going on in here. Sometimes it makes people nervous. Like, yeah, but, but we're supposed to rejoice in hope. So let's just be excited about it and let it come out. Just rejoice in hope. Be all excited about everything coming. Praise the Lord. I mean, people get all excited about vacations and stuff. You could get excited about the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. Going through something? Yeah, just hang in there. Hang in there, keep your head up, smile a bit. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. All right, so we'll move on here. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You got to learn how to rejoice with those who just got the big blessing. Before you think, boy, I sure would like one of them. Rejoice with people that have gotten the door open, that, that got the promotion, that got the thing, that God blessed, that something happened. I mean, be real excited about people. I mean, I, I like to see when God has done something or when God's given somebody grace, even amongst my peers, you know, preacher and teachers. Uh, when I see that God's opened a door for them, I'm like, glory to God. Thank you, God. Take good care of them. Do great things for them. Rejoice when people, I mean, this is what you're doing. You're, you're trying to, to reach God and have things happen in the will of God. Well, when you see that happen for somebody, you'd be real happy about that. Be real happy about that. Somebody got married, you'd be real happy about it even if you're single. Even if they took the person you thought you were going to marry, you'd be real happy for them. That, that will happen for some of you. That will happen. I like them too. And there they went. Glory to God. Rejoice about stuff like that.
Praise the Lord. And weep with those who weep. Of course, we, we know that people don't have to weep for longer or get into these long seasons of grief. Uh, but at the same time, hey, let them weep for a while. Let, let's weep with them. I mean, loss is real and hurts are real. So it's okay to give some tears and some compassion and all that. Now, if it's some detrimental thing that's dragging them down, you can help them later. But first, let's, let's weep with those. Let's be sad together. It's okay. Sad with you. Now let's smile. Verse 16, be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on, on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. This is an interesting one. Uh, kind of goes against the world. It says, be of the same mind one toward, toward another. I want to read a, a scripture in Philippians 2 if you want to get a head start. Uh, be of the same mind. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. What does that mean? That means, hey, listen, uh, in the world, people try to reach certain status in life. Some don't make it very far. Others make it halfway. And, uh, but think about the elite. Just think about the elite. They only want to hang out with the elite. Think in those circles. It's like that's their crowd. That's, and, and they really don't want to go any lower. And there's even instruction. The world gives you instruction that you should be hanging out with people above you. And that's it. Like the, look around at the five people in your life. They should be somebody above you. Nobody below. Well, the scripture says you got to hang out with people of a lower estate. King James says, condescend to people of low estate. All it means is be able to bend down and be with others. And in church, what happens? You get in the kingdom of God. We're all together in the kingdom of God. We're all equal. I don't care what your status in life is. I don't care what your life level or your society status or your class. I don't care what that, I don't care where you're at. You're in here, you're same. We're going to all hang out together, love each other together. Give my heart for everybody together. So we hang out no matter who we are, we're hanging out together. And I think a lot of people miss that because they haven't transformed out of the world. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Okay, let me read this. Uh, Philippians 2 here says this, verse 1. Philippians 2, 1 verse four, uh, through 4 says something like this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort of love, if any common sharing in the Spirit or fellowship of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of self, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Sure is quiet. In, in real Christianity, I guess it gets quiet. But you got in the kingdom and there's people in here. You got in the family of God and there's people in here and now we're going to treat each other like a body. Like the right hand is going to wash the left elbow. We're going to care about each other and take care of each other and consider one another. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Or you can say be honorable in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So you owe it to God to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Remember what Jesus said? For they shall be called the children of God. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peace? You don't have to, you don't have to answer me, but look to yourself. Are you a peacemaker? Do you help people understand any kind of contrary Conflict? Do you help people make up? Do you make up? Or do you cut and run? As much as depends on you, you live peaceable. I remember Martin Luther said this. He said, peace when at all possible. Truth at all costs. We're not saying give up the truth to live in peace. Um, but have peace if, if at all possible. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. 
For it's written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. That should be uh, stapled on everybody's Facebook page. No retaliating on Facebook and all the social media. Everybody does it so freely. I have erased a lot of email. I mean, a lot of <laughs> comments. I've, I've erased myself. It's like. Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's he saying here? He's saying uh, you got to do the opposite of what you would have done in the world. If, you're, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. Love your enemy. Jesus said that. He said, it is written to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you. Love your enemy. Here it says, if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. What does that mean? That means, you know, you do good to somebody that's being mean to you. It, they'll notice. That's all it means is they'll notice. Should you do it for that reason? Sometimes. Hey, I'm going to be good to you. You did something that was totally wrong. I'm going to act like you didn't and just be good to you instead. Be extra good to him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him a drink. <clears throat> Let me see here of my list of invites to eat and drink with me. Is Carl here? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> There's something wrong. The pastor's inviting me to eat. <clears throat> this is just Christianity right here. I mean, isn't it? This is just Christianity. These are just, I mean, this is, that chapter is full of just Christian stuff. Christian instruction, Christian reminder, how, how that we're just different. And we should like it and we should rejoice in it. That should be our pursuits. We should pursue these things. Make sure it all fits with you. Make sure that's you. In the good times and the bad times. When you get your way and when you don't get your way. When you're happy with everybody in your life and when you're not so happy with everybody in your life. Make sure that's you. Isn't that exciting? Come on, this is something worth you know, dying for. This is something worth dying to self for. It's something worth dying to your old self for. It's like Christianity is not just a ticket to heaven and let you live your, own your same old life. No, this is like, man, you die and you come into a whole new way to live and it's different. Amen. It gets looks. The world doesn't understand you, but man, it's so delightful. Every time you do a scripture, there's a delight in the spirit and that's what makes you happy. Instead of worldly stuff, it's the delight in here. I'm with God. I just obeyed God. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.